Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me today, as always, are my two co-hosts. I'm Hui Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. So guys, it's been about 500 years, but 2018 is almost over. It's been Finally. 84 years. Honestly. There are so many movies that and TV shows that came out this year that I totally forgot happened oh my this God. year. I like, yeah, there's some, I'm like, oh, I saw that at the beginning. Like, that was this year. Yeah. Do you guys remember? Paddington, Paddington 2 came out this year. And then got snubbed by the Golden Globes. Snubbed. Rudely snubbed. snubbed. It was. Rudely. <sighs> Um, but we are not here to talk about Golden Globe nominations. We are here to talk about a reflection on the pop culture of the year, as we do every year. This year, we're doing a two-week, two-parter episode. So this first week, we're going to talk about our favorite movies and TV shows or music or books or anything that we think was kind of underrated this year or didn't get talked about enough. Um, and then next week, we are going to be doing our annual Best of 2018 so before we dive into our favorite underrated things of the year, we have an ad from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Diamonds in the Rough. Don't touch anything but the lamp. That is a really wonderful, perfect ad for our episode today. Um, so we're going to structure it this way. We're each going to go around and talk about... Um, just a few of our favorite underrated things. Talk about why they were underrated and why we loved them so much. Um, so, HT, do you want to start us off? <clears throat> I would love to start us off. So, my first... I have four movies this time around. I don't have any TV shows just because this year I haven't really had time to watch a lot of TV. And the TV I have watched is mostly just, like, things everyone else has seen. Because I'm still catching up from, like, two years ago. I only just Fair. watched um, uh, Going Clear. So I'm very behind on things I mean, uh, TV-wise. but We all are in some ways. <laughs> but I have seen about a million movies this year. And uh, there are a lot of them that I think have kind of fallen by the wayside as the awards conversation has you know, picked up. And um, I really think they shouldn't have because they're great movies. For example, I'm going to talk a little bit about awards this, this time because Golden Globes uh, nominated five male directors for their best directors category. And this really grinds my gears because there's just so many good films by female directors this year. It's so frustrating. And it's also like the same male director. So mm -hmm. it's not even like they're highlighting like new voices who happen to be male. It's like, it's the same male directors. Yes. I'm not mad about Alfonso Cuaron because I saw Roma and it's amazing. But Peter uh, Farrelly, <laughs> really? Anyways, um, one of the uh, – one of my choices for this week is uh, a film by a female director, um, the director behind uh, – Winter's Bone, actually, and uh, she hasn't really directed a lot of films, but her film this year is one of my favorite movies of the year, and it's called Leave No Trace. I spoke about it on the podcast a couple months ago, I think like back in July when I first saw it, and I was raving about it, and it's a movie that still has stuck with me so much. It's, um, it stars uh, Ben Foster as a... Um, former soul like a veteran who is suffering from PTSD, and he decides to... Um, kind of 
leave society along with his young uh, preteen daughter and they like they live in the woods uh, sort of homeless but living off of the land and away from society because being with society kind of is what really poisons his his mind so much um but eventually they're discovered um after living in like a national reserve and like forced to go back into society and while his daughter takes to it because she's never really known living with other people before he starts to degrade even further and it's this beautiful story about um kind of like living with the the sins of our fathers and their and the burdens that our parents and like are have have kind of foisted upon us and trying to form like a, a, an identity separate from them and there's this beautiful really beautiful line from the film that um really stuck with me still and it's the last thing that i wrote on my le- my letterbox because that movie just like killed me because it's so good <laughs> and it's um a, a line spoken by the daughter played by thomas and mckenzie which is um the thing that's wrong with you isn't what's wrong with me and it's such a gorgeous, uh, affecting film that I think it will sadly fall by the wayside, which is a real shame because it's one of the best movies of the year, one of the best movies directed by a female director of the year. And uh, I think that you should definitely check it out. Uh, ben Foster is always great, and he's so good. But the real standout here is Thomas and Mackenzie, who is the daughter. She's so good. Um, well, there might be a lot of female directors on my list this year. Good. Uh, so another one, I kind of uh, debated including this because it's a movie I've been raving about all year. I think a lot of people do know about it. It's You Were Never Really Here, directed by Lynn Ramsey. I've raved about it enough. You guys know it's my favorite movie of the year. Might still be as of now. I'm not sure. I'm kind of debating my top 10 list right now, but it's still like really high up there, at least top three. Uh, stars um, Joaquin Phoenix in the role of a hitman who targets men who um, uh, traffic young girls. And he it's such a great, taut, condensed film that really leaves all the fat behind. It's a movie that focuses on like the aftermath of violence and everything that happens in between while being still completely harrowing and um, disturbing despite you not seeing really any of the violence that actually happens. It's all like the aftermath and everything and like the effects that that has on on Joaquin Phoenix's character. It's it's so good. It's it's very like taxi driver but almost like a feminist taxi driver because it doesn't glorify, glamorize that type of, of um, lone wolf violence that we've seen so much in movies. It is more about like how this sort of lone wolf like masculinity can really just beat you down and um wear you down rather and it's great it's so good lynn ramsey i uh, got to interview her and she's just a wonder to talk to even though i couldn't understand half of what she's saying because she's a very strong scottish accent (laughs) um but i highly recommend you guys see this i will not rave enough about it um another female director (laughs) Yes, uh, bring Gen- it on. Jennifer Fox, who directed this year's The Tale. Have you seen this yet, Anya? Because I feel like you would really like this. The Tale? You cut out. Oh, okay, you cut out. So you might want to say that again. Yeah, um, uh, so, so have you seen The Tale, Anya? Because I, I think you would really like it. I have. I love that movie. It's, I think it's brilliant. It's so good, and it's so powerful. It's a like autobiographical film um, by Jennifer Fox, who delves into her own uh, child abuse by 
uh, an older man. Well, like sexual abuse by an older man. And she is, it's like an interrogation of her own memory about this abuse, which she for a long time wouldn't really, um, you know, deal with. She always kind of uh, explained it away to herself as being she was in a relationship. She did this of her own free will. But then as she goes further into her memory, she realizes that she was taken advantage of. And it has really emotionally scarred her in all the years. Laura Dern is fantastic in it um as the um, older version of uh, jennifer fox's character and it's just it's such a hard movie to watch but it's so essential too uh jennifer fox in her debut feature directs the hell out of this movie and uh it's really unfortunate that it got it didn't get it was at sundance where it got um it premiered there where it got some raves but it only got picked up by hbo which then put it directly to um streaming slash um cable uh, and so now it's being golden globes again it's being um it's competing in like made for tv movie categories which really which bugs me because it's accurate. a movie it's not accurate it was a movie that was made for theatrical distribution it didn't yeah, get theatrical like a distribution. Feature. it's a feature film and that really bugs me because if this were picked up by a studio that put it in theaters it could have been like up in that that conversation for some of the best movies of the year and it's kind of been buried which really upsets me and um and only laura dern really got a a nomination as well uh, at the golden globe so i i'm upset about that uh justice for the tale it's great it's hard to watch but it's definitely an essential and just like really well made movie all right i'm done with my female uh directors Uh, category bummer i know well actually no i'm not done (laughs) Never mind. I have one more. This is a movie that hasn't come out actually in theaters this year, but it's a movie that I saw at Tribeca. It's called Little Woods. Uh, It stars Tessa Thompson and Lily James uh, as two sisters in um, this sort of downtrodden, economically depressed Midwestern town and it's directed by Nia DaCosta, who recently um, has gotten a job working with uh, Jordan Peele to direct the remake of Candyman. Um, but but Little Woods is her debut feature, and it is so good. It, for some reason, doesn't have theatrical distribution yet, despite being the best thing I saw at Tribeca. Um, but it uh, stars yeah, Tessa Thompson, Lily James, as two sisters who are estranged and living in North Dakota. And um, it's kind of like this haunting, neo-Western, somewhat like uh, Hell or High Water in ways, but like, with the uh, sisters as the as the main um, duo, and Tessa Thompson, and Lily James are so good. Of course, Tessa. I in love that pairing because I feel like you wouldn't think of them as like going together. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like they each have such different like energies on screen. They do, but but they're two of my favorite actresses currently working, and you would never think that they would like they would fit yeah. together. But, like, the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, wait, I love this pairing. I can't wait to see them. It's good. I think you would love this movie. But I think that and it's definitely for people who like that kind of neo-Western, like, uh, like Hell or High Water, but with a female bent. And it's it centers around something that's, like, specifically female, too. It's about um, Lily, Lily James' character um, – becomes pregnant and she needs to get an abortion because they can't afford to have a baby and her her deadbeat the deadbeat dad is just like in jail or something so uh she and tessa thompson um start uh tessa thompson starts um 
becomes a drug mule essentially like for opioids um to pay for her sister's sort of um illegal uh, abortion so that they can go to canada and get an abortion there and i think that might be why because like this abortion is like the central part of this movie that that's why it hasn't gotten picked up by a distributor yet but it is it is so good and despite like you know it being so embedded in like the current political landscape it really is just a story about these two women who are struggling to make make do and um live in this world that has everything against them and uh yeah tessa in particular is great lulu james is good too though but uh, tessa is the one who delivers like the powerhouse performance in this and um i think uh if at some point it gets distributed everyone should see it i hope it does at some point it might just become a 2019 movie um, yeah but, uh, but it sounds amazing it is it's very good um and so my last one is the only one not by a female director but it is just as good as all the movies that i talked about um it's blind spotting which might not really fall under this category of underrated because it did get a, a lot of critical raves um it's got but no one talked about it and like no one saw it so about it it's got 93 percent on rotten tomatoes i feel like in terms of racially sort of charged movies that talk about race and gentrification and everything in this cinematic landscape sorry to bother you and um the hate you give have gotten much more and black Klansmen have gotten much more um notice but blind spotting i think deserves just as much if not more notice than that because it is it's so good it's so electric do you think it's the best of those four you listed it's my favorite personally um i haven't seen black klansman so i can't say in regards to that and i did like sorry to bother you but i think blind spotting left more of an impact on me sorry to bother you was really weird and bold and went off the rails in a way i couldn't expect um but I think blind spotting, because it's so taut and takes place in such a small window of time, it takes place like over the course of like two days essentially, and uh, it has like this really powerful performance from David Diggs. Um, it puts it over the line for me. I think the hate you give, while good, kind of feels like a YA version of blind spotting in a way, in that yeah. it kind of wraps things up really neatly, in, especially towards the end with like the drug lord being put away in jail. Like spoilers, I guess. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, blind spotting deals with these things, but doesn't try to um, wrap things up in a neat bow because there's really no way to do it. And despite having like the gimmick of a lot of the dialogue being spoken in rap, um, and like the big final confrontation being d- done explicit only in rap, I think it it is it works so much better for me because it's just so loaded and has so much more extra meaning because of how like rap has been, um, you know been termed the way that black men for example can deliver and communicate with the general audiences without being like you know brushed aside and i thought that like that extra meaning really makes it powerful for me and yeah david is so good in this um as a uh, a man who is in his final days of probation and trying to start make a new start but his uh his one his white friend who he's been friends with for all his life is a kind of a hothead who kind of helped land him in jail and is dragging him back to that sort of lifestyle slowly and kind of that toxic um impact that he has on him so it's it's very fascinating it's a good fascinating look at gentrification too and dealing with like how and that really uh 
strange relationship between black and white allies and stuff like that. So I highly recommend it. Um, it's great. It's directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. Um, David is good. And uh, one, it's my last underrated movie of the year. So I hope that you guys like my list. Uh, I want to know what you guys have on your list. Um, Willoughby, what about you? What's, what are, what's, on, what's your most underrated movies or TV or properties of 2018? Uh, yeah. So the first one I have is Netflix's Maniac, which is the Kerry Fukunaga movie, not movie, sorry, TV show, miniseries, um, starring Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. And I thought the series was very, very, very good. Um, but I don't think enough people saw it because I feel like, I mean, have either of you watched it? I haven't seen it. I, I have. It's also on my list as a spoiler. It's on your list. So, yeah. So it's like. I feel like it got lost in like that shuffle. It was it came out right when like everyone else was doing fall TV and whatnot. Um, but I think it's really excellent. It's like a great self-contained story about these two friends who are trying to like make their way through this psychedelic episode that they're both going through. Um, and I think that all of it, uh, it's really reflexive of kind of where we're all, where we're at in society where we're just like we just need a friend to like get our make our way through yeah. <laughs> this hellhole that we're like yeah. going through like a pure sentiment um and it really comes together like near the end about that uh so yeah maniac was the first one uh i can just say i i i've talked about it on the podcast before so i don't really want to go too far into it especially because neither of you have watched it so it's like wait it's yeah. on my list i have watched oh, it's on your list but you haven't watched it yet no, no, no! It's on my list of underrated things this year. Oh shoot! My bad. I, I'm missing. I'm. Oh. I, uh, I, I also I thought you were talking about you. it's on the list, like the Captain America. Oh no, no, no! As in, I watched it and I loved it so much. Oh my bad! I didn't hear you. I was probably all good. All good. Like, Man. Um, the two watch list. Yeah, got gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So you've seen it. Mm-hmm. HT, you have not. Okay. Got it. So it's good. <laughs> it's very good. Um, the second thing on my list is another Netflix property because Netflix, what they have come to do is just throw everything at the door, at the wall, and see what sticks. And if it gets a season one and pe- enough people watch it, it gets a season two. Um, another, but this unfortunately is not getting a season two. Uh, it's called Everything Sucks. It came out pretty early in the My year. God, that came out this year. It came out in February when we were all coming down from the high that was Paddington 2, the squeakquel. And, um, yeah, so it came out. It was like a Netflix, uh, you know, freaks and geeks type show. Uh, it kind of threw uh, some tropes and, subvert- and, th- and, like, subverted them and made them very interesting. But it was still, like... Um, uh, it was like a coming of age high school show set in the night, set in a time period that isn't our own. So it was sort of like it could be hit or miss when it come when it comes to um, like audiences. And I think that a show like Stranger Things or a show like Freaks and Geeks, they're they're the '80s. I feel like some for some reason those '80s shows work better, but this one was set in the mid '90s, so it was like maybe it was still too too soon. Who knows? I don't know. It's not getting a season two. But I think it was very charming, very funny. Um, it was sort of like it wasn't as cringy as a Freaks and Geeks, but it was still pretty like, oh, adolescence is the worst sort of deal. 
Um, but at the same time, it was like, oh, it was, by the end of it, like, had a really, like, I'm glad that season one was its own story in a way because you can watch it now and be like, oh, this is very charming and like a fun season finale. But like at the same time, you're like, oh, I want to see more of what these kids can do. Um, and it had, it had pretty good and in- interesting uh, representation. It didn't star a white dude. It starred a black guy in, in high school. So it was very different. Um, so yeah, that's everything sucks. Uh, exclamation mark at the end. Uh, and then my last thing is Christopher Robin. Not enough people Aww. saw Christopher Robin. That movie is charming as hell, and it made me cry from like minute one to minute ninety. Like this movie, uh, and I feel like the critics didn't give it the, the praise that it deserved because I feel like there's a certain element of the of like the nostalgia for childhood lost that is just sort of like it is my bread and butter. And we'll just, it's like someone put cut onions right in front of my eyes. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm just weeping here at this like wide shot of Pooh Bear sitting next to Christopher Robin on a log in the middle of the Hundred Acre Wood. And I'm like weeping openly. I also think it wasn't like just a nostalgic crash grab either. It tried to do something different. And I'm like, what do you critics want? I mean, I say you critics. I'm a critic too. So you're a critic now. I'm a critic now too. <laughs> you are a critic. But I'm like, what do you guys want? Like they say that it's not it's too weird and atonal but it's, and then they criticize other movies for being just a nostalgic cash grab but this is doing something that's not just that it's doing something different and yeah the tones are kind of weird and a little bit jarring but it's a way that makes it more like unique what it does is it it's got this tension this like tension and release moment where you're like everything is real like emotional and like hard hitting or at least in my terms and then you get the slapstick at the end of the movie where they're like trying to get rushed to the office in time. And that's sort of like the part where you're just like coming, you're breathing again and you're just like, ha everything's, uh, this is all fun. I'm not, you know, like dreading my existentialism. Like, And so I think that the movie is, I think more people need to either watch it again or watch it for the first time. Cause it is not just about, Oh, remember these fun characters that you used to have as a kid. It's really more about like, do you remember your childhood? It was like it it tapped into the same exact vein that Toy Story three did, um, which I'm sure Toy Story four is gonna do too. Um, that sort of like your childhood, remember? And it's like, oh yeah, I do. Now I'm crying again. <laughs> um, there was a movie recently that did the same thing. Oh, Wreck It Ralph two, that locked locked into like not childhood nostalgia, but like friendship nostalgia. Oh, uh, I'm getting emotional just thinking about that, too. Uh, okay, so those are the three that I would say. I would also I feel like I didn't see a lot of things that no one else saw. It's hard to think about what's underrated, but I feel like, I don't know. I liked Solo more than other people did and Avengers more than people did. I liked, I liked Solo and Avengers a lot more than you guys did. So I feel like it's underrated in that sense. Um, I think you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't be out of your way to say Solo is underrated because it didn't do well at the box office and a lot of people kind of brushed it aside, including me. But if you made an argument for why it's underrated, I wouldn't be opposed. Agreed. I think it's just a really fun movie. Like I think there's 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 like you know yeah we know exactly where he's gonna end up and I think it's fun to see how he got there. It's it's it falls into like it some prequel issues 
and like trying to explain away a lot of shit, like how he got his last name, which they didn't need to do that. In the old <laughs> expanded universe, his, his name was a family name. There were other people named Solo. That's another, I still think that's the most story hilarious part of that movie. Um, that was because <laughs> he's traveling Han, by himself. Han Uno? That doesn't sound right. Han Solo. It's like okay. Um, what, what happens if he had like a twin? Would they be on a duo? <laughs> Han duo. Han duo. Damn it, Willoughby. <laughs> Is it um, Han Han duo and Chewbacca duo? <laughs> duos. Well, no, Han. Well, Han Han duo. Okay, Han duo is no, my new Pokemon. Uh, he's a fire t- type, and uh, when he evolves, he's Han trio. <laughs> <laughs> There's three of them. Um, no, yeah, it, the movie has its problems. I, I'm not ignoring that, but I do feel like the movie is better than people uh, have come to say it is. The movie has Enfys Nest, so, like, it's automatically better than people think it is because Enfys Nest is perfect still. Yeah, that's very I true. still stan her. I still mostly forgot what happened in Solo, so. Sorry? I still forgot what happened in most of Solo, so I'm sorry. Yeah, he dicked around all the, the whole time. Um, but the music also is excellent they incorporate like a new theme and then also the, all the old themes in there when he's going through the castle run, it all coalesces into one epic, like suite of music. And I'm just like, ah, oh, this is why I love this, these movies. Um, yeah. Uh, Solo is my fourth underrated movie of the year. Um, which even though it's like number five in my top 10 of star Wars movies and people are like, that's so low. I'm like, there's 10 of them and four of them are bad. Solo <laughs> is so low. Oh no! Oh god, you guys! All right. Why don't we? Uh, All right. Why don't we get so high from this depths of comedy and go to Anya? Okay. Okay. We're gonna move on from that painful moment. Um, uh, painful though. Yeah. Painful you mean the moment. best moment of this podcast. Okay. Um. Okay. Um, so I also have four titles. Um, I have two TV shows and two movies that I want to talk about with you. So I'll start with movie or TV shows. And I'll start with Maniac because Willoughby also mentioned it. Um, but I also really loved Maniac, uh, Willoughby. I thought it was so good. But it was so clever and unique and interesting and well-directed. Um, it's one of the best, if not the best performance by Jonah Hill I've ever seen. Really- I love him in this show. It's like, like standard Emma Stone performance and then like a really good uh, Jonah like, Hill performance. Jonah Hill made me so emotional and evoked such empathy and compassion from me. And it was incredible. Um, I think like Willoughby said, the show's themes of friendship and bonds is really important and really struck me like personally. Um, but I also really love the show's exploration of mental health and how that affects your relationships with people um, and how it can make you feel isolated, but how you're still worthy of love and worthy of these friendships and all those things. Um, I just thought that, like, again, Jonah Hill especially, like, his character's struggles with mental health and his character's just struggles with who he was and how he was coping with things just really touched me and I think that if more people were to watch Maniac they would enjoy it and they would also feel this they they would also be affected by it the way I was 
Um, I just don't think enough people sat down to watch it. Yeah. Really. Um, but I thought it was so good and I loved it. So I'm with you, Willoughby. And it's all about like analog technology in a world that never went to the microchip. And it's like really interesting. It is. It is. And there are some just wacky moments that are Justin Thoreau is a wackadoodle. His introductory scene is something that I will never get out of my head. In this show. Oh, it, uh, it froze. Oh, no, we're still going. Oh, I said Justin throws a wackadoodle. Oh, and I said that Justin Thoreau's introductory scene will be something that I will never get out of my head. Oh, I will never get it out of my head. It is, like, burned into my memory. The Goku um, hair in that scene? <laughs> wild. <laughs> So, Maniac. Um, and then the other one is, will definitely be in, like, my top, probably five TV show of the year. Maybe my top ten of everything of the year. I don't know. Ooh. I've talked about it once on the podcast. I've tweeted about it endlessly. And that would be HBO's Succession. Oh, of course. This show, you guys. <laughs> stop <laughs> sleeping on it. Will he just made, like, a defeated look and just, like, lowered his head? <laughs> Why, Willoughby? I thought you were going to say Charmed. Because you did talk about it once and you've been t- tweeting it about it. I thought oh, you were going to talk Charmed. about Anna and the Apocalypse, actually. <laughs> oh, that's true. Sorry. We're, th- we're still on TV. Um, Charmed is great, but like we're still in the first season. It's I feel like it's still too fresh to be underrated yet. Um, but I do really like Charmed. Um, no, Succession. Guys, watch my crazy King Lear HBO show. It's so good. Watch it. Me and Karen Hahn are like the only people who are like standing the show. And I don't want to be just the two of us anymore. Some people started to get on board by the end. Um, but not enough. And this show is just so, so good. The cast is so good. It's so clever. It is so much more than like, an incineration of, like, the Murdochs or whatever kind of media and conglomerate you want to think it is. Like, it's so much more than that. And it is it is much better understood as a Shakespearean tragedy, tragicomedy. And I just can't wait to have my crazy, rich, terrible, amoral people back in my life. I miss them. I love this show. I really, I'm not really talking anything about what the show is. I'm just, like watch no people can go back and listen to Anya rave about the yeah. show that no raves about it a lot so it's about it's you know it's just about a media empire family and all the machinations that go with it and jeremy strong is like the lead son and he's so good and i love him is he the lead large adult son he is <laughs> he is the lead large adult son and i love him and he's so good and honestly, like, I would have nominated that guy for an Emmy and a Golden Globe because he's that good. Not to win yet because Matthew Reese should still win his Golden Globe, too. And so should the Americans for Best Drama at the Golden Globes next year. Now, talk about an underrated show. Underrated? I mean, it's like... Underrated every... in terms of... In, in, in our loose term of underrated, whereas nobody has watched it. I mean, yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't include Americans on my list because while it is probably my favorite show of the year... It's on a lot of people's top 10 lists. And so, like, That's I true. know everyone knows how good it is, but it, like, it didn't have the audience, yeah. like, the mass audience. I agree with that. I think it's, like, it's 
it's accepted now as like one of the greatest shows. Oh. And it is. Yeah. Um, so yes, but Succession. Watch it, Willoughby. Don't laugh at me. I it's I'm, it's I'm, on the I'm list. Not anybody. It's Who's so laughing? good. It's so good. Okay. Anyway. Wait, Anya, is it good? <laughs> so I, good. I can't tell. Is it good? Anya, is it good? <laughs> hey Anya, no, I have a question. I have one more question. One more question. Okay, I'm ready. Is it good? It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the movies now that I think are underrated this year. Um, I wasn't going to mention Anna and the Apocalypse because I raved about it last week. Um, but I think it is underrated and more people need to go see it because it's so great. And more bonus. people, it needs to open more. It I needs mean, to yeah. open wider. I, I can't think it's watch the it. Problem right. with I think I can't put it on here yet because like it hasn't really opened wide. It's like an indie film. It's it's it, we need more time to say whether or not it's going to be underrated. Although I think it probably will. It probably will be underrated. If it, it it needs to have like an audience in the cities that it's the two cities that it's opened in for it, for the distributors to be like, oh, we'll put it in other places. I yeah. think it just opened in Georgetown uh, and Landmark theaters here in D.C. But like. I didn't have time to see it because it was only like two screenings. Yeah. So try if you can. It is one of the best movies of the year. Have you seen it? No, I need to see it. I've been busy this week um, watching other movies, <laughs> catching up on my top 10 of uh, 2018. So I we'll... can't watch it in theaters. I'm definitely going to watch it when it comes down to a uh, video on demand. Good. Cause it's perfect. But actually, my two movies, um, I'm going to go with, um, I have a theme similar to HT. It's not female directors, but it's it's female leads, specifically in queer films. So my two films this year that I think are terribly underrated and so good are Disobedience and Colette. I've talked about both of these on the pod, but again, I think they're so underrated that they should be talked about again Disobedience came out earlier this year. It stars Rachel Wise and Rachel McAdams as two women from an Orthodox Jewish community who Rachel Wise left the community and has come back because her father passed away. Um, and you find out that she and Rachel McAdams had a romantic relationship when they were younger. And that's part of why she left. It's because of the way same-sex relationships are viewed in this Orthodox community. Um, it's brilliant. It started with my favorite actress, Rachel McAdams. So I'm a little biased. Um, but it also just happens to be a great movie. Um, it's by the same director who did A Fantastic Woman, which won Best International Foreign Film this year at the Oscars. Um, and despite what you may think, it actually has a happy ending, which I think is very important for people when they see queer films and knowing that because of how many times queer films do not get happy endings. Um, but it's just a really beautiful portrayal of of faith and identity and figuring out who you are and what you want in life and like what what sacrifices are worth making to kind of have the life that you want and that would make you happiest um and it's just really beautiful and it really really touched me so disobedience it's probably it's on dvd now so you can definitely find it rent it somewhere buy it definitely worth the watch um, and then Colette, which is the Keira Knightley period drama where she played the real-life French author Colette, who ended up uh, having a relationship with women in her life and also 
sort of gender fluid, gender queer. Um, she she played around a lot with the idea of the gender binary and, you know, what what can be considered what women can be considered as and everything. Um, it's it's so good. Kara Knightley is wonderful. It's probably one of her best roles in recent years, and I'm glad she's gotten back to this like hard hitting period drama. I she agree with fits, that. Although it's funny, so well. it's funny because her next period drama is very like a typical Kira Knightley romantic period drama. I can't remember remember the name. Oh, the one with Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that one does look much more typical. Yeah. Um, but Colette is great, and you know it stars trans people and it stars people who are queer in real life. The director is a gay man, um, and it just feels authentic and it feels celebratory. And it feels empowered and feminist. And I just want more people to see it because I think they will get a lot out of it. And it, you know, it shows period dramas aren't those like typical stuffy things people sometimes think of. Hoity toity. Hoity toity. (laughs) Very hoity toity. Although I love me some hoity toity period dramas too. Like I'm not. I will defend the hoity toity. I, I love them, but it's nice to see that people are kind of expanding the definition of a period drama. Um, Does anybody point... in these movies go harumph? No. Does anybody harumph? <laughs> no. For that, I think you should watch um, the brilliant Dan Stevens' um, the Christmas Carol movie. <laughs> oh, the does Man he Does is there a? Is he there like... sort of. He's sort of harumphs, but it's mostly um, the guy Scrooge, right? (sighs) Why am I forgetting his name? He's like Christopher Plummer. Oh, oh my God! Oh, Christopher Plummer Plummer is an excellent harumpher. Oh, he harumphs. Oh, he is perfect at harumphing around. He is a perfect harumpher in The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is a bonkers, brilliant movie. Please go see it. It's so great. But it came out last year. It's so strange, Anya. It's such a a great movie. I loved it so much. Maybe I'll get drunk this Christmas and watch it on Netflix. Do it. Do it. Oh, Anya. You and and your love of Dan... Stan Stevens. Stan Stevens. I love him. I love him so much. Anyway, so Colette and Disobedience, I think, you know, very important queer films, um, very authentic films we don't really get to see a lot, both indie. So, like, I understand they didn't get wider release and a lot of attention, but they are worth seeking out and they are worth seeing. Um, and I was going to say to your point, HT, the only kind of male director that I really defend this year, not the only, but like the main one I defend is Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes. Because the favorite is probably my favorite movie of the year. Um, and it's also very queer and authentically queer, it feels like. Um, so he's like the main male director. I'm like, you can stay this year in award season because I stand you and I love you and I love this movie. Um, but it's not an underrated film because yeah. everyone knows how brilliant it is. It's Thank got goodness. a lot of raves. Yeah. And it is so good. And it's surprisingly got but, a lot of Golden Globe nominations too, which I was like pleasantly surprised about. I am about. so happy. I'm like, I'm also standing Olivia Coleman for best so actress this year. But guys, I have, to, I have to point out something obvious that no one's talking about. There's a typo in the title. Har, har. <laughs> you American. You peasant. It's always funny whenever I write that out and I get that little red squiggly line. <laughs> the red squiggle. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no. Microsoft Word is like, you know you, you know you spelled it wrong, right? <laughs> There's no you. That's it's funny. not favorite. God, Brits must have a horrible time in the U.S. like using computers here. They're like, I no, know. this is how you spell it. They're like, where are all our U's, damn it? <laughs> Where they um, belong, in the trash. 
But anyway, I really love the favorite, but it is perfectly rated. Um, but Colette and Disobedience, underrated. Go see them. So good. Have you guys seen either of them? I love the favorite. Um, and I have seen... Or no, Colette and Disobedience. Oh, I've seen both of those. Yeah. We talked about oh, Colette. You have. Yeah. Okay. And Disobedience. Yeah, I will... And you like them. Yeah, I like them. I do like A Fantastic Woman more than Disobedience. Yeah. Um, a Fantastic Woman is just so good. And like uh, Daniela Vega is such a revelation in that role. But Disobedience I liked. I think it has fallen a little like out of my memory since I saw it. But I liked it a lot when yeah. I watched it. I feel like it has. I feel like it's still so vivid for me. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder. I like connected so deeply to it, like as a queer woman, and like I related to so many of the scenes, and it felt like I was being seen, and it felt like visibility I had been like craving. Mm. So it was it was very important to me, and I think that's. I think you know people will have different responses to it, and I think just for the queer community, it's very important specifically. Perfect. Um, so yeah, so those are my underrated pop culture things this year. Um, and I think that's a great way to wrap up our episode and the things that we want you all to go see, seek them out. Yeah. They're worth watching. Yeah. Take our recommendations or let us know if you have any underrated, uh, gems of the year and, um, before, but before you let us know, and before we move on to the last segment of our episode, we have another word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon's brought to you by Hidden Gems. Dig them up. <laughs> Gold. All right. And with that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Okay, let's move on to a really likes. Uh, Anya, since you ended us ended our discussion last time, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? All right. I have a bit of a, a twofer, but once you hear what it is, you're going to allow it. I promise. You, you will allow it, H-E. I, I promise. Fine, fine. So the first part, and they go together. Okay. First part is that I finished my thesis. <gasps> Yay! Yay! congratulations you are a master a master i am a master um so i am officially masters i successfully defended my thesis i finished it i turned it in i am now a hundred percent done you i did not realize what a weight was on my shoulders like honestly because i've been living with this weight for the whole year and so i did not realize what a weight it was until i finished it and this week i've actually been able to like have free time and enjoy free time and play Spider-Man on the PS4 and like do things. You are a champion of journalism. You are. Oh. And you are um, free. <laughs> I'm a free journalist. <laughs> like Pinocchio at the end of the movie. I was thinking Dobby. Oh. Oh, here. Oh, no. I'm a free Anya has been given a pen. Master has, Master given, has given Anya a pen, a sock. A sock, a sock pen. <laughs> a master's degree. Anya is free. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Um, now just make sure Bellatrix doesn't kill me. Uh, in oh, no. <laughs> I went there. No. Yep. Anyway, so I finished my master's, which is great, and I'm really liking that. Um, but one of the things I, re- I awarded my, or rewarded myself with this week, a pop culture thing, 
was the National Theatre in Britain. They film some of their shows that they put on in London, and they screen them in movie theaters in the U.S. And so this week, they screened uh, the Royal Theatre's... I think it was the Royal Theatre? I forget which theatre it was. Um, their production of Antony and Cleopatra, starring Rafe Fiennes. Good old so, King Ralph himself? It was near. It was about four hours in a theater watching Rafe. Beautiful. So it's basically like your dream, Anya. Yes. Yes. Was it was like early, Mar- like Merry Masters, Merry Christmas to me. It's great. Yay. So good. So I have never read Antony and Cleopatra. It's one of the Shakespeare plays I've never read. Um, I knew a little bit about it going in, but this was like I was I didn't know all the details. So it was fun watching a Shakespeare play unfold that I didn't know. Um, and it was just a really great inventive production. It really kept Shakespeare's wit and humor in it, even though it is a tragedy. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Auntie and Cleopatra are messy bitches. I was about to say, I feel like they're just messy and that's what the whole thing is about. They are the messiest bitches. Everything in this play could have been avoided. Like at least Romeo and Juliet have like Friar Lawrence to blame. In a lot of their tragedy, mm-hmm. Antony and Cleopatra have like only themselves to blame, and just the fact that they're like arrogant, messy bitches who live for drama. Um, so it's still it's tragic, and like it was, it's a very sad ending, and it did really affect me. But I'm also like, guys, you guys are like grown ass adults who could have avoided all this. But it was great. Rafe is great. He's shirtless for a lot of the play. He does a lot of kissing with Cleopatra, which is so great. He's a very sensual kisser. Listen, I just have a lot of feelings about Ray Fiennes, you guys. <laughs> Willoughby has left the podcast. <laughs> he Willoughby really has. Gone. He's just disappeared. Uh, I, I came back. I came, I'm back from the future. Um... Hey, there's a reason that Ray Fines was my hall pass with my girlfriend, so. Oh. <laughs> gonna okay. Up, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> so, what you're saying is that he's Rafe Foynes. Oh, he is Foyne. Hey, he's so Foyne. how come you give him that one and you wouldn't let me have my solo? <laughs> Whatever. Um, They're just as I don't, good. I don't. I don't have an answer for that. Um, but anyway, I just really like finishing my master's and also watching four hours of Ray Fiennes in live theater because he's so good and he's so talented and one day he will win an Oscar. I swear to God. All right. All right. Um, I actually want to go next because mine is sort of is semi-related. I saw a lot of things that I really like this, this week, but um, I got to go to the theater uh, and do some, which is something I rarely do. And I saw something that I also really liked, uh, uh, too much to my surprise. And that was Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is a completely enjoyable and entertaining show, despite having a total nonsense plot. Um, it's an eight hour, um, experience, by the way. I'm sorry, what? It's t- so Harry Potter and the Cursed Char- Child is a play in two parts. And um, usually you can either see both parts in one day or you can split it up between like one night and then the second night. 
But we saw it in one day. So I started, we started this experience at like 2 p.m. And part one is like four hours long. <laughs> and you have an intermission, of course. But then you, and then you have like two hours between um, part one and part two. Just like do whatever, get dinner. You come back and it's another four hours. And by the time I got out, it was like 10 p.m. <laughs> but it was worth all eight plus hours because it oh, is good. a good show. Um, my problems with the plot aside, it is a fantastic experience to watch. The effects are mind boggling. Like I was, my jaw was on the floor half the time, just how beautiful and stunning and amazing those stage effects were. I don't think I can talk enough about how, like they, how amazing, how great they were. Cause I'm still not sure how they pulled off half of them. It really gives the the idea and the semblance of magic existing and I don't really want to know how it happened because it 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 creates that illusion and it creates that that enchantment that kind of um it captures that enchantment that I had reading the Harry Potter books for the first time and watching them on screen for the first time on stage so it was it was was, that's that's the best thing about it it was so immersive and the cast too is is great. They really elevate the um, the characters from the page. I remember thinking that, for example, Scorpius Malfoy in the while reading the play felt like such a a cheap ploy at being an emotionally um, inve- like a character that you're supposed to emotionally invest in. And I was like, oh, he's so obviously written to make us love him, and I wasn't buying it. But then when I saw him on stage. I fell in love, and I will you die fully for Scorpius Malfoy. He's adorable. I would die for him, guys. I would die for him. Scorpius <laughs> for life. So, um, HD, how was the sad boy who lived, who grew up? He's really good, actually. Um, it reminded me even more of you guys remember like uh, the Legend of Korra and how Avatar yeah. Last, how it continued and expanded upon the characters of Avatar: Last Airbender. And gave them flaws and made them feel real and more human and um, mm-hmm. and complicated. And it feels like uh, with Cursed Child, especially the actor who plays Harry Potter, I don't, I can't think of his name right now. He is so good. He's definitely like the standout of the cast. And um, you can see where he comes from and why like that fame has sort of not corrupted him, but definitely like made him lose sight of who he hit who he is and how he is as a parent in a way and it really it makes you understand why he's such a bad dad um is it like is he like simba before he gets like a a knock on the head from rafiki kind of where he he, has to go like return and remember who he is he he is and um he has like this really emotionally wrought moment at the end where i was crying i was like oh my god that that hit me it it's a good show. I highly recommend seeing it, even if you disliked the sta- reading the stage play, which I did, um, just because it's just worth that immersive um, experience and seeing the cast bring these characters to life. And Scorpius, it's Scorpius, my baby, your baby. Oh. <laughs> I believe on Twitter you called him the best boy. He is the best boy. The best boy. I remember liking him when I read the play, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is exactly like I really want to see Cursed Child and. I hate the plot. I hate some yeah. of the characterizations. Mm-hmm. There are some bits with Ron in the play as my favorite member of the trio that I just hate. It's less egregious in the play, it, seeing it yeah. on stage. He's definitely, but comes, I want to. He's more like comic relief, but he he's more endearing. Okay, because I, I want to see it for two reasons: the cast, which I've heard is amazing, 
and the production. Like, I just want to see for the experience, but, like, I maintain that the plot is terrible. Oh, yeah. It's awful still. It's still and, total like, nonsense. Between that and Fantastic Beasts, it's like J.K. Rowling, stop writing Harry Potter stuff. Just yeah. stop. It's really thanks to the cast and the direction that this play is so successful at what it does, which is capturing the magic of what makes Harry Potter Harry Potter in the first place. Yes. All right, Willoughby, what yes. is your really like this week? Uh, I finished reading His Dark Materials, Yay! the trilogy by Philip Pullman. Um, it took me a little bit, but I did it because, uh, according to Kindle, it was 928 pages. So, oh boy. Um, but I did it. I finished it. And now I want to go... Uh, and just cry a little bit because of how sad it made me at the end. Because I was like, oh, no. But also how happy I was that I finally read it. Because it's like, oh, this is a lot more than, like, the Christians who, like, uh, denounced it when the movie came out. Where, like, they were like, it's a heathenist period piece of god godlessness. And I'm like, there's a lot more to I mean, it. Do you really there expect them to have nuance in their arguments about anything yeah, no, that, like, but, is but it's like anti-Christian? A, as like a kid who was like growing up in the church, I was like not the church, capital C church, mm-hmm. but growing up in a church, like part of the Methodists. I was like, I don't really want to see that. I'm kind of I want to watch the Narnia lion, and like I want to see him do his thing. And so I didn't really want to watch the polar bear do his thing, which I was like, okay. So I never watched the book, the movie, and I never saw read the books because like if I wasn't gonna watch the movie, I'm not gonna read the books. Oh boy, what am I a nerd? Um, and so, <laughs> don't watch but the I movie finally anyways. did. I finally did. Yeah. And the other thing was I heard the movie was bad. So I was like, oh, of course. Um, so but I finally watched, uh, read the books and they're amazing. And I think everybody needs to read them in their life at some point. And that's kind of it. There's I mean, it, there's so much to talk about that we can't get into. Maybe hopefully when the His Dark Materials BBC uh, adaptation gets going and we see a trailer or we watch we can do a review of the of the of the miniseries or whatever we could talk about it but for now i'll just li- leave it at saying um uh those books are amazing and i want a red panda as my demon that's it Ooh, that's a good demon i wonder what that's my demon would demon. be i don't know that's a good that's a really that's good, a good i feel like question. mine would be a, like a canine of some like a dog wolf canine of some kind mm-hmm. or a deer i don't know I don't know what mine would be. I think mine would be some sort of sedentary animal. (laughs) A sloth. (laughs) Which are super cute, You and Kristen Bell both. Yeah. It's super cute. Yeah. I want something that I can cuddle. (laughs) I'm so glad that you read it, Willoughby. Have you started reading um, the prequel yet? Uh, No, because I'm I'm going... I I went back to the other book I was reading before I made the rash decision to start reading this, which was All the President's Men. Okay. Well, definitely read the prequel at some point because it's also very good. It is. And it's the first of a trilogy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you get to go back to this world again and with different characters who are tangentially related but still different enough. Yeah. That... Some familiar play- faces will pop up, mm-hmm. but not many. Yeah. Does my, my close and personal friend Lee Scoresby show up? Not yet. But I ah. love Lee. I would love Lee to show up again. Like a I, young Lee. I had such a crush on Lee when I was reading it. Oh, and now with Lin-Manuel Miranda playing him? I like, may have more of a crush on him, yeah. That crush is gonna... But mm-hmm. what about Sam Elliott, though? 
I mean, I also have a crush on Sam Elliott, so. <laughs> Sam Elliott, though. That mustache, though. That oh, mustache. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so All right. Yeah. Um, so, on that note, we're going to end our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on anything we've talked about today, our underrated gems or underrated gems you want to recommend us, or if you've gone to the theater and seen anything like Antony Cleopatra or Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, or if you've been reading some great books like Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy, come chat with us about all of those things. And where can they do that, Willoughby? Oh, you can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud and rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.